the rack podcast we have been so busy moving through our fall semester so let's recap our last episode shaylin harris has had a lot of success since graduating here from rack including completing her master's degree and also working in the social work field that she loves if you didn't get a chance to listen yet be sure to check it out today we are bringing you another amazing rack graduate story whose success has taken him to penn state and through various entrepreneurial endeavors if you've ever wondered about 3d printing then this is the episode for you Please welcome a 2021 cohort of the Penn State College of Engineering's 40 Under 40 Award, Joe Sinclair. Thanks for having me, Sonia. Thanks for being here with us today. I am so excited to talk to you. So tell me what initially brought you to Rack. So my initial kind of foray into Redinger Community College really started with um, while I was taking uh, AP courses at Governor Mifflin, so local high school. And I didn't really know what I wanted to do after high school. At the time, I was chasing a girl, not really the best idea when pursuing career options. And so um, I was looking towards the military. She really didn't want me to do that. So I said, all right, I have to do something education-wise. I really like history. And I was able to dual enroll my advanced placement history classes with RAC to get college credits towards an undergrad degree. And upon graduating from high school, Again, wasn't quite sure exactly where I wanted to go, what I wanted to do. And so Rack was just a natural fit. I had already kind of started with uh, coming to the campus, doing dual enrollment stuff in high school. And I said, you know, hey, let me just kind of start my general education classes at Redinger Community College. It's local to me. It's convenient. It's affordable. And, you know, get the ball rolling towards my higher education without having to spend a tremendous amount of money, which a lot of my friends, I will say, also were in the same boat, didn't really know what they wanted to do and started spending tens of thousands of dollars instantly at much bigger institutions, right. whereas I was a little more conservative on how much I was willing to spend. So Rack was the perfect fit for me. Right. And I love to hear that you started with dual enrollment because I think that's one of our hidden gems here. You know, a Absolutely. lot of area high schools can take dual enrollment classes here at Rack. It's a really great lower price as compared to what they get once they get here, which is still affordable. Yeah. And so that's really awesome that you got to start with that before actually coming here for the rest of your associate's degree. Yeah. And, and dual enrollment stuff, again, it, it, it not only counted at Rack, but it counted at Penn State, it counted at, you know, there's various other larger institutions that accept mm -hmm. regular community college credits towards your undergrad degree. So like you said, not only is it a fraction of the cost, but if you do dual enrollment on top of that, it's even a fraction of a fraction of the cost. Right. So <laughs> it, was, it was definitely great. So tell me about some of the activities that you were involved in here at Rack and what your time was like when you were here with us. Sure. So uh, I will say this kind of growing up, um, I always thought I wanted to be a geologist, um, but that was just because I always spent a lot of time just kind of like staring at the ground and paying attention to things and kind of observing my environment. And when I came to Rack, that was one of the biggest things that I kind of took out right away is I didn't get super heavily involved in activities, but in the classes that I did take, and at the time this was a pre-COVID world, so having these classes with people around me that I could sit down face to face with that are from a completely different aspect of life and just learn and observe how they acted, what they were after, whether it was me working in a team for a presentation for communications uh, with a single mom, uh, a dad who's got you know five kids still in college uh, or a guy like me like a young kid just looking up not sure what he really wanted to do gave me the opportunity to just kind of sit down and observe people and see what kind of made sense to me and what clicked and 
being a little bit of a bookworm, I also spent a tremendous amount of time in Yuckum Library at I think it's the fifth floor or the fourth floor. Perfectly quiet. Not many people go up there, but I could sit there and I could just crank out various types of math I was interested in at the time. So I didn't do a tremendous amount of activities while I was at Rainier Community College, but besides for studying and just really enjoying my time kind of working with my classmates from all walks of life. Absolutely. The diversity here is definitely something that I think benefits a lot of our students before they move on to the rest of their bachelor degree. Absolutely. And I think a lot of schools kind of like hype up diversity as like, oh, like diversity for the sake of diversity, like right. at rack, like it's a real thing. Like, and we're not just talking like ethnically, religiously, we're talking from, I've had classmates here who were in their fifties and taking an arts class just because they liked arts and they wanted to learn it to, you know, young kids who are just getting started in life, I was able to get kind of a breath and, you know, work with all those types of individuals, which Mm -hmm. to me was exciting and eye-opening to Mm -hmm. a great degree. So after you graduated from RAC, did you go right to Penn State? At some point, I decided my goal was to get to Penn State, Maine. And at the time, (laughs) coming out of high school, that was not possible at all. When I first started at uh, Rainier Community College, not possible at all. But I was able to basically transfer my credits from Rainier Community College, as we talked about previously, to Penn State Berks. And so from, I spent, I think, a year and a half at Rainier Community College right out of high school starting. Mm-hmm. And then after that year and a half, went to Penn State Berks, spent two semesters there, and then from there was able to finally get the grades required to transfer to Penn State, Maine, um, and pursue engineering degrees, which is what I ended up going for. So do you feel that RAC prepared you for the rigors of Penn State, Maine once you got there? Yes, surprisingly so. The, The reason why I say surprisingly so is because I ended up pursuing engineering, which ended up not being the typical Penn State, Maine 600 person like class size for like a philosophy 101 class. Okay, gotcha. Right? So I ended up, ha- I pursued nuclear engineering right off the bat. So my class, my nuclear engineering class that I graduated with was probably like, I want to say like 80 or 90 kids. Wow. Like total or class size when I graduated. So we only had classes of very similar to Reading Area Community College, which was like you know, 30, 40 kids. Like it wasn't big thing. So the class size was almost identical. And same with Penn State Berks. They had that same type of feel. But I think the thing that prepared me most for Reading Area Community College uh, for what I've done in my later life is actually the people aspect of things. You know, I'm not going to say that Reading Area Community College has a nuclear reactor on site like Penn State and can hold the torch to that. But the thing that I learned here is how to work well with people. And once I learned to do that here, I was able to apply that through my whole career and I was able to excel. I never really liked school a lot, but I liked working with people. That's what's made me good at business and made me good at building businesses and teams and, you know, pursuing innovative ideas that no one else wants to touch. I like the people aspect of it. And that's what I got from Area Community College is not only how to work with people from different walks of life. We talked about diversity. Like that's the important part is being put in a group of people that are from way different bounds than you are and having to figure out ways to one, work well together, but to also become friends with those people. That's what set me up for success in the long run because that's then what I've done in my entire career moving forward. So after you graduated from Penn State, or maybe while you were going, I'm not even sure, you got into owning your own businesses. So tell me what that's been like for you. Sure, sure. So um, I was, again, I wanted to pursue nuclear engineering. That was right around the time when Fukushima happened. So Fukushima, for those that uh, may not know, was actually a 
big nuclear accident in Japan. And it happened after a tsunami. A lot of it was caused by uh, that natural disaster. But that nuclear accident kind of rattled the whole industry to the point where uh, a lot of countries started saying, hey, let's scrap our nuclear engineering programs. And so that basically meant that a lot of projects that would hire me coming out of college weren't going to be there when I left. So that was not like... (laughs) All the jobs just instantly disappeared from nuclear engineering. It just wasn't going to really be a thing when I graduated. So I started trying to figure out I have to do something else. And at the time, while I was at Rack, I had seen 3D printers, played with some, but I eventually got my own. And even while I was here, I forget which class it was, but like a buddy of mine said that he wanted something like something custom that he was working on. And I was able Mm -hmm. to actually like learn how to design it on my own at home and print it and give it to him. It wasn't for a class or anything, but that distinctly sticks out in my mind. And from that point on, I started to realize along with the human aspect of things of like, hey, different people have different ideas for things they want prototyped or designed, whether it's a custom shoe insert or a custom pen holder, whatever it might be, a little trinkets at the time. That's what really got my brain going on the entrepreneurial side of things. So my my first business was a prototyping business, Joe's 3D prototyping, I think I called it. And uh, basically, people would come to me with their ideas, I would charge them, I think it was like 15 bucks an hour, I would design it, and then I would print it. And then I would sell them the printed part along with the service time. And that that kind of got me in the aspect of, you know, hey, money can be made by me helping other people bring their ideas to life. And 3D printing was a big part of that at the time and continues to be. Okay. So now that you've told me a little bit about what a 3D printer can do, can you go into a little bit more of the specifics about what 3D printing really is for our listeners and for me? Sure, sure. (laughs) So believe it or not, right in your backyard here, uh, you have Carpenter steel. Carpenter is actually huge in additive manufacturing. That's a technical term for 3D printing, more on the metal side. But the reason I bring that up is there's a wide variety. The term 3D printing more often refers to like the little plastic machines people see. And that's what my current business builds and sells. But the, the little plastic machines, they're desktop sized and generally they can print something that's under a foot in size. So example, for you know the, the mic stand that these mics are sitting on and that we're talking to, those could be 3D printed, but say you, for whatever reason, you needed it to sit a different way, a different height, things like that, mm-hmm. you could actually print your own complete custom one that would sit at the exact right height relative to you as an individual person. Wow, so okay. think about 3D printing from, it brings a level of individuality to manufacturing that just couldn't exist previously. Because, okay. you know, if... These mic stands are probably made in China on an injection molding machine, and they make a million of the same exact one, and they sell those same exact ones to millions of people. Well, millions of people are different heights, different sizes, their jaws are longer, shorter, same with their heads, the rest of their bodies. And current manufacturing methods don't really allow for that individuality. Um, There's just too much cost associated with it. That's where 3D printing kind of took hold is, hey, how can I make stuff completely custom and individual that works for me? Um, Whether it's creating a coaster for your water bottle on the table or individual mic stand that sits at various heights, it allows for that individuality. And that's where it really came from. And it's actually been around since 1980s, 3D printing. Yeah, so it's been around for a long time. That's on the industrial side though. And it really didn't take hold until the 
I would say later, like around 2008, when a lot of patents started expiring mm -hmm. on the industrial side, and people started being able to produce and sell those smaller desktop sized plastic ones. But since then, we've actually, as an industry, have moved into metal 3D printing as well. That's, no, that's more the term of additive manufacturing, where we're using lasers to melt powders produced by carpenter steel to form objects out of titanium that you couldn't manufacture any other way. And these go into various satellites, electric cars, new brake calipers on the latest Bugatti. Like, wow, it's cool. kind of taken off, but it, yeah. it can range from plastics to metals um, and every material in between. Okay. So how did you go from Joe's Prototypes, which you told me about, which was kind of sure. your first endeavor, sure. to the business that you're owning and running now? What kind of happened in between there? <laughs> A lot. <laughs> and the timeline kind of like weaves in and out of itself in my mind. But so while I was at Penn State pursuing nuclear engineering at the time, Fukushima happened. I decided, hey, this probably isn't going to be great for me. Let me take up a mechanical engineering degree at Penn State at the same time because there were a lot of overlapping classes. So I started doing that. Once I did that, I actually got involved with a place called Sim3D at Penn State in something called the Applied Research Laboratories. It's like a kind of like a government contractor DARPA DOD facility where they had metal 3D printers as well as industrial plastic 3D printers. And I was using my little printer at home and I noticed that it wasn't as, uh, I would say, like smart as you would expect it to be. Like basically it did whatever I told it, but if what I told it to do was wrong, it would do it wrong. Oh, okay. Okay. So it's like, you know, driving down, you know, we have Teslas now, so you can kind of think about it. If I'm driving down the road in my, you know, 2001 Envoy and I take a left into oncoming traffic, the car's going to go left in oncoming traffic and that's not good, right? Even though I'm right. driving, but it's a user error, it causes problems. Well, you know, like a Tesla modern day, you may try and do that and it might tell you, no, that's not a good idea. Don't do that. 3D printers had none of that intelligence. So if I told it to print something the wrong way and it would fail, it would do it and it would fail. And when I was working at this DOD facility at Penn State, they had metal 3D printers that cost a million dollars each. And guess what I learned? The same stupid mistakes that my regular plastic pre 3D printer would allow me to do, that million dollar like Lamborghini of 3D printers would also allow mm -hmm. me to do. And so that kind of made me scratch my head. Like they're not as smart as you know you think they would be. And that got my mind rolling. Like how do I create the smartest 3D printer in the world? Originally it was kind of, my idea was focused on quality control of like, hey, let the printer like create a 3D scan of what it's printing and compare that to what it's supposed to print in real time, determine if anything's going wrong. Just mm -hmm. like a, I love the blacksmith analogy of a blacksmith takes a hot piece of iron out of the fire, puts it on an anvil, takes his hammer, strikes it, but after each strike, he looks at it to see what the strike actually did because he has in his mind what he wants to get to but he knows what he does in real life isn't always going to get exactly that. So mm -hmm. he observes it, then he strikes it again until it forms his shape. I was trying to get a 3D printer to do that on its own. And that started another business of mine. And I got a couple of patents, which was very exciting and was able to build and sell that business eventually. So, you know, that was kind of my first from beginning to end, building a business, selling it, you know, learning the patent process in between. But I really wasn't done. I kind of twiddle my thumbs for a little bit. I'm like, okay, I'll, you know, I'll do something uh, less interesting, but I just couldn't get away from it. 
Mm-hmm. And so I focus back to what really brought me into 3D printing was the exciting aspect of it, the utility of it, the ability for anybody to print something unique to them for their own needs and then apply that to make their life better. And what I realized though is that 3D printers weren't easy enough to do that. So what I did when I founded Verde Mantis, uh, which is located actually maybe four blocks from here in the um, goggle works. Oh yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we're nearby. What I decided to do is we're gonna build the world's easiest to use 3D printer so that people like my mom, who were amazed that I was involved in 3D printing, but really couldn't like actually use the machines themselves. I wanted to make it so that she could do it, or my brother can do it, or anybody off the street with no experience whatsoever, they just pick up their iPhone or Android and just press print and it builds something custom to them that makes their life better. And that was the genesis for the Manus 3D printer. And that's the product we produce. Um, it's designed to be the world's easiest to use 3D printer, where you plug it in, connect it to the internet, you search, you know, coaster, press print, and it prints out a coaster, custom to you, you know, within minutes. That, that's been kind of my entrepreneurial journey to date. And I feel like now I'm living in the most exciting portion of it because I get to see the joy the product brings to people who otherwise couldn't have access to this technology without us putting in, and it's not just me, it's a team of uh, folks behind me who are working to build this product out to actually bring that 3D printer to life so that anybody can use it. Right. So this sounds eerily similar to another story that I'd heard recently. Recently, we had our 50th anniversary gala here for Reading Area Community College, and we got to hear from the co-founder of Apple, Steve Wozniak, and he was telling us this story about how at the time when he was getting into computers, they weren't readily available for people in their households. You know, when he presented this idea that he wanted everyone to be able to access a personal computer and use it. And I feel that I'm hearing a lot of that from you. So would you agree that that's sort of where we're at with the 3D printing aspect, that in a few years, everyone will have one? Absolutely. I absolutely agree with that. And also, our business model has been cheating, like by copying Apple and their story um, to a great degree because the the parallels are eerily similar. And one time I was at a 3D printing conference in Tampa, Florida, and I met Wozniak in the lobby of our thing. He was going to some other conference and I got to take a picture with him. But it's eerily similar how close the parallels are. But you could say that about a lot of different products too at the same time. But I mean, it's... It's very much that. Right now, if you bought a 3D printer, you have to be a technical guy to do it. Back then, if you wanted your own personal home computer, you had to know how to solder. Like that was the reality. Or you're gonna pay tens of thousands of dollars, which today you can buy a home personal computer that costs you tens of thousands of dollars. If you go for the cheap one, you gotta have super technical know-how. If you go for the expensive one, you can have little. That's kind of where we've built our product around is, hey, for less than a thousand bucks, you can get a printer that can sit in your kitchen and you can print stuff while you cook, right? It's that kind of mentality. So very, very similar to Apple Saga for sure. Okay. So I know that we've talked a little bit about the future, where you're headed, where this industry is headed, but can you tell our listeners a little bit about the career outlook for someone who might be interested in maybe a path like yours or maybe just engineering in general? Sure, absolutely. Well, the first thing I would say, which was the smartest thing I ever did, was to dual enroll with Reading Area Community College and then also come here and complete all my general education classes here. Do that. You're going to save a tremendous amount of money, time, and again, you're going to get to work with people who otherwise you wouldn't get to work with. That's gonna be of immense benefit in your career. The next 
portion, I would say, is choose something you're passionate about and don't just follow the crowd. Don't do engineering because you think you're going to make a lot of money. Don't get me wrong, engineers can make a lot of money, just like doctors or lawyers or whatever whatever career you may get into, but do it because you're interested in it and passionate in it. And then part of that is learning on your own. I mean, we have stuff like YouTube nowadays, right? Where I can go, if, you know, I got a problem with my car, I can YouTube it and I can fix it myself. Right. Right. Where a mechanic would charge me 250 bucks. You got it. You got to have that innate curiosity and you got to ask yourself, do I have that innate curiosity for the things around me? If you do, and if you're somebody who's taking things apart to see how they work, or you're curious about how things work, then engineering is absolutely a path for you. And I would 100% recommend you start here, do all the general education classes, and then while you're doing that, decide for yourself what type of engineering you actually wanna do, because then you're gonna set yourself up to be successful, both financially, but you're gonna give yourself a little breathing room where you don't have to agree to become a mechanical engineer or a nuclear engineer or an architectural engineer right off the bat. You'll have time to choose while moving in the direction you have to be to be successful. Thank you for sharing that with us. So I know that you were honored as a 40 under 40 with Penn State College of Engineering. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about what that meant to you to receive that honor. I was kind of dumbfounded, <laughs> <laughs> to, be, to be quite honest, uh, just in the sense that like, I still got a lot of time <laughs> sure, <laughs> to 40 sure. yet. Um, <laughs> there's still quite a little bit of time. So, you know, maybe I'll, you know, maybe my goal will be to make the list twice. But for me, it meant a lot. I've, I've worked very hard uh, to succeed in the things that I've worked on and at. And, you know, I'll say that I've, I've ruffled some feathers. You know, a great example is one time in my academic career, I told a advisor that I was going to graduate with two engineering degrees from Penn State, Maine in three years, start to finish, from when I graduated in 2012 from high school to when I would graduate in 2015, theoretically. And that person told me it was impossible, that it cannot be done, cannot be done. And at that moment in time, that's when I realized I liked when people told me that it can't be done because I'm like oh yeah well let's find out you know I may die pursuing this or you know I may <laughs> crash and burn but the impossible is achievable you just have to put your whole heart into achieving it mm -hmm. and I was successful in that endeavor but I also learned along the way that I couldn't do it without everybody else and the thing that I got out of the Penn State 40 under 40 thing is that you had to be recommended by somebody to do it like somebody who pulls a lot of weight at Penn State. And what I learned from this experience is that the, the relationships I built and forged while pursuing things that other folks said were impossible at Penn State is what has not only made me successful, but has what kind of set the tone for the rest of my life in that working with people is going to get me farther ahead than anything else because you can't do it on your own. You have to work with people and you have to work well with people and you have to have the mindset that rising tides float all boats, that it's about us. It's not about me. It's about if this business does well or this university does well or this community college does well, we all do well. And, you know, growing up in the Reading area, like I've seen a lot of like ups and downs in terms of like people working well together and people not working well together and what comes sure. out of that. And so from just this experience in general, taking some time to reflect about it right now, that's what I took away is that, you know, you could be a, the most, you know, financially successful person in the world, but if you did it all yourself and you just railroaded people and ran over people to be successful, no one's going to be there for you in the end. But if you worked with people to achieve those things together, not as individuals, but as a team, you're not only going to be more successful, but you're also going to have 
you know, people you can call your friends and family at the end of the day. Absolutely. I totally agree with you. That's a great message. Thank you for that advice for our listeners. And so finally, I just have to ask you, you know, this is our 50th anniversary, as we've discussed. Is there a message that you'd like to send to Dr. Looney and our community on this historic occasion? Keep doing a great job. That goes, you know, without having to be said. But continue to provide the affordability and convenience that you provided me. That was by far the biggest thing that drove me to running our community college right off the bat was that it was accessible. Like starting here, there wasn't a tremendous amount of paperwork. Like I showed up and I worked with the, you know, I forget the name of the lady I worked with, you know, to fill out like the dual enrollment paperwork to like get the AP credits and like figure out how to use those to start those. But that was very easy for me to start. There wasn't this scary kind of like taking out big loans, filling out all this paperwork that I didn't really understand. There wasn't mm -hmm. that here. And that's why I started here. I didn't know all that stuff. People you know, still joke about like, why aren't they teaching kids about taxes in home ec classes and stuff in high school, right? <laughs> right. But like coming out of high school, like I didn't know any of that stuff. And I wasn't taken advantage of here. That was the big thing. I wasn't, I didn't get taken advantage of here. And that made it easy for me to start. Thank you for sharing. And thank you for being with us today. I have really enjoyed listening to your story from Rack to all the exciting things that's going on for you now. Thanks for having me. Today you've listened to Joe's story, which is one that shows you that you can start here and go anywhere, and the world of opportunities that await for you after graduating from RAC. An education is a great way to pave the path to your success. The associate in science degree can be completed entirely online. The program prepares students to transfer into a bachelor's program with a solid general education foundation. As a RAC graduate, you can transfer seamlessly to many local and state colleges and universities with special scholarship opportunities as well. To get started today, email admissions at rack.edu or call 610-607-6224. Classes are beginning soon and you are never more than a few weeks away from starting. Come back for new episodes as we share more stories of our successful graduates. I am Sonia Rieger on the Reading Area Community College Podcast and I can't wait to see you next time. Bye. Bye.